Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. Today's guest is Tony Hayes. Tony is an executive lean leader responsible for the Wabash Management System, continuous improvement and quality at Wabash. Uh, you support the CEO and executive leadership team, and you're driving customer value creation. Welcome to the show, Tony. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Tony, you have extensive experience in the continuous improvement world, uh, and I have to imagine that over the years that you've had some pretty serious challenges along the way. I'm curious to hear you know, maybe some of the challenges that you faced when driving lean transformation across an organization. Yeah, I would share a few challenges, uh, and I'm sure everyone and, you know, the listeners obviously have probably come across several of these in their in their travels and their in their journeys. But one of the things I always come across and I think about is the overall adoption uh, and buy in to the transformation itself. I know that sounds pretty simple, you know, just generate some buy in uh, and adoption, but it's typically easier said than done. Mm. And the adoption when driving any transformation, quite honestly, is really key to the scalability, uh, to really the traction that you can start to gain over time. And once you have it, uh, it is quite contagious. Uh, I've seen transformations go really, really well if you have high levels of adoption. And I've seen them not go so well uh, when you have mediocre adoption. So you know, that's one of the things I think about is how do I drive that? Uh, how do I drive some sustainability with the adoption? And it's really one of the first things I think about is, you know, when I try to drive a transformation. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And what would would you have any advice for anyone that's listening in around buy in? You know, if they have a team that's maybe uh, maybe a senior team and they've been around for a while uh, and this is something new to their organization, uh, any advice or suggestions for someone that's listening around, you know, how they can get that buy in from the team? Yeah, I I think one of the easiest things to do is start with leadership. Uh, Executive leadership support really starts to drive transformations at the right levels of the organization. When folks on the team, whether they're senior or new members of the team, can see that you have executive leadership support, Mm -hmm. uh, that almost immediately drives high levels of adoption uh, because then they can understand the why behind it. Uh, they can see that the leadership believes in it. It's usually aligned with some sort of strategy. Uh, and that and that's really, for me, the easiest way to drive that. And that would be the advice I would have to anyone listening today. Okay. And what would you say, what would you say makes a good lean leader in an organization? Wow. If it was only uh, three things, right? <laughs> uh, uh, look, these, these things, I think, from a lean leadership are very important. And one of them is respect for people. Mm. Um, I start with that one because uh, leading with humility and respect for people is very key as a lean leader. Sure. Um, it's easy to, you know, what I would say, manage a task or quite honestly, manage a transformation, but it's very hard to, to capture the hearts and minds of folks. And the only way I know to do that is to lead as if you don't have all the answers, uh, you know, try to lead a transformation from a servant leadership perspective, mm-hmm. uh, but then ultimately respect for people, uh, making sure you understand where they, where they are, meet them where they are, uh, help them understand why the transformation 
is going on at all and where they fit in. And I mm. think that shows a high level of respect for people when you do that. Mm. That's great, great advice, great, great thoughts on the on the leadership side. What, what would you say on the flip side of that, too, Tony? I'm, I'm interested to hear, you know, maybe a few characteristics that would maybe make a leader not so good in a lean environment. Maybe, you know, some some uh, negative aspects of leadership or um, what some would call leadership that maybe could create uh, send people down the wrong road, I guess, or, or create chaos in an organization. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've got several thoughts on that. One, one of them is just having a fixed mindset. Um, I think leaders that have a fixed mindset aren't open uh, to change, necessarily open uh, to listening and supporting an atmosphere where people can make mistakes. Mm. Uh, I think that's key in any transformation that the folks that are going along on that journey have to feel comfortable solving problems, but then ultimately being able to make mistakes. And the opposite of leading with humility and servant leadership is acting as if you have all the answers mm -hmm. and not listening to the teams that you support. Right. And so that's the difference between having a fixed mindset, right, being very traditional in your thought process versus more progressive and having a growth mindset where you're open to that type of uh, you know, line of questioning and seeking to understand, seeking to listen and, and allowing your folks to make mistakes and then learn from them. I think mm. that's really the difference. So true. And there's so so many people out there that I think that are shaking their heads in, in agreement with you because they are either in a position where they're leading an organization uh, that's that's, you know, on their lean journey or maybe they're working for a leader that, you know, has some of those characteristics on both sides. Uh, and so, you know, I appreciate you you laying those out there. Um, you mentioned scaling earlier, and I, I'm just curious to hear, you know, your thoughts around effectively scaling improvements during a transformation, you know, across an enterprise. Any any thoughts for for the audience on that? Yeah, I, I think when I think of scaling, I think the most difficult part is it, it sometimes is very easy to make a localized change in a very small area, maybe one area, one department. But it's very hard to scale thinking uh, across an organization. Mm. Um, it's sometimes easy to scale tools, right? If you pick up a, a lean tool and you want to scale that across, you know, several different plant locations, as an example, it's a little bit easier to do. It's harder to scale thinking, though. Mm. Uh, it's harder to scale behaviors. Uh, and I think that's one of the most difficult things in a transformation is to uh, drive that level of thinking across a vast enterprise and have everybody think and solve problems in, in a similar fashion. That's hard to scale. Uh, but it's one of the things I think about often is how can I do this? Uh, how can I show uh, the organization that this does work? How do I even bring them to this improvement so they can learn from it locally and then go back to their respective functions or, or plant locations and actually do it? Uh, so I think about that a lot. I think it's more of a... Uh, see the improvement, right? Do or replicate that improvement. And then ultimately you can teach it to your teams. Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of a see, do, teach approach. Sure. And, and I think that drives a high level of scalability uh, when you're able to do that because you're creating more of a learning culture, learning organization when you do that. Sure. 
Sure, that makes sense. I had a question actually uh, earlier today. Uh, someone asked me for larger organizations uh, with you know hundreds of employees uh, across multiple shifts. You know, how do you spread a lean culture? How do you you know uh, sustain small improvements even within an organization? And we we talked about the leadership structure and you know developing uh, the right number of direct reports per leader and how to do that and what what does it mean to have uh, you know a, a development opportunities for leaders so that you know leaders have the ability to uh, eventually move into the next position or whatever it might be. And I, I'm just curious to hear if you have any thoughts around that, uh, you know, with when it comes to leadership development and uh, even, you know, direct reports, how many direct reports should a leader have? Uh, what's optimal in, in your eyes or what you've in your experience? Yeah, I, the, the smaller the ratios, the better. I mean, that's the easy answer, right? If you're one to 10, uh, one to 15, maybe, maybe one to 20 max, right? From a direct report perspective, mm -hmm. that allows you to have a, a high level of, you know, what I would call intimacy and communication with your team. Uh, so they understand what your vision is. They can latch onto a strategy very easily. The larger those numbers are, as you can imagine, the harder it is, uh, to have a consistent, meaningful, uh, you know, vision that everybody can latch onto. It's just harder to do because of the sheer numbers. It's just math at the end of the day. That's right. Um, but I, I, I kind of think about this in, in, in kind of a model line type scenario, right? Most of the listeners have probably heard of the model line approach, model plant approach. And that's typically how I like to develop learning and develop leaders. Uh, show them what good looks like, implement at a very high level, show a high level of lean, you know, competency or proficiency, and then have them learn it in a safe environment, right, where they don't feel compelled to immediately go back, right, mm -hmm. and implement this in their own area, but they can learn as they go along. They can participate in, in, in the Kaizen activity. They can participate in the, the continuous improvement activity. And then once you do that and you feel comfortable, then you can go back to your function or your organization and then work with your teams. Sometimes you have to work with, you know, a subject matter expert uh, that's more versed in, in, in the facilitation of an improvement event, right? That that always is helpful. But I think one of the, the other pieces of advice I would have for the listeners, you don't have to do this alone. Uh, you should rely on and have a little bit of humility that you don't have all the answers and rely on folks in your organization that have done this and can help you along in the journey. I think that's key. Mm, yeah, I agree. And I don't know if you've uh, had any experience with having a, a, a dedicated lean team versus, you know, having lean embedded in the organization uh, or a, a hybrid of both. Uh, what, any recommendations or any thoughts around, you know, what does it take to, you know, really uh, spread a lean culture throughout an organization? You know, should someone have a, a lean promotion office or a, an operational excellence team that's embedded in an organization uh, or should, you know, I, I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have many thoughts. This is a great, this is a great question. Uh, I actually get this quite a bit. What's the best structure yeah. uh, when you're trying to create and, and drive a lean transformation? The one that I know that works the best, and I actually prescribe to this, is having a Kaizen promotion office or a lean office that is very well versed, very competent, high skill level, uh, can develop standards, uh, can help de develop training programs, 
uh, can also reach out to the organization and actually facilitate events themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this KPO mm -hmm. and they're really the center of excellence, right? There is no ambiguity in training and teaching people about lean or a management system if you have a KPO. Mm. What you also need to have, because I think it is a, also a hybrid or both, you have to have folks that are embedded in the organization. I heard you say that a little bit earlier, that actually are versed and understand and can align to the KPO's vision. Mm. So then they can deploy where they reside, whatever locations, 15, 16, 20 locations. They then are typically dotted line to plan operations, and, and as an example, mm -hmm. but then solid line back to the KPO so you can make sure you ensure standards and, and consistent deployment at those locations. And, and that's what I've seen work the best. There is also an opportunity if you have strong lean leaders inside the plants or the shops, you could also have lean resources, as an example, report directly to the plant leadership because they obviously would lead with humility right. and they would use those resources uh, in the most effective way. And then you don't probably have to have as close a tie back to the KPO. Uh, but I would say in less mature organizations, having a KPO is key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's been my experience as well. Uh, it, one of my favorite practices that I've that I've been a part of and and have watched happen in, in a few lean organizations uh, is the practice of uh, when a, a kaizen event or an activity or a project or you know some type of improvement leads to you know maybe a, a reduction in a, a work area of of labor. Uh, those individuals that you know, maybe you go from five people down to four, down to three people in an area. Uh, they celebrate that improvement, um, and those individuals who maybe were removed from that area are moved to the KPL and are given opportunity to uh, develop their their lean skill sets even more by you know helping to other teams to continue to improve in other areas. And then you know through normal attrition, they end up shifting back into the organization uh, now with a new skill set that they're able to help support you know further improvements you know in different areas. Uh, so that's been one of my favorite practices that I've seen you know seen and been a part of. Uh, have you have you seen similar activities yeah, or? I've yeah, Patrick, I, I've seen that exact uh, scenario uh, where I've been part of boot camps or events of that nature where uh, we reallocate, right, the mm -hmm. teams uh, to work on things. It, it could even be a water spider sure. uh, within an area, right, as we develop more efficient standardized work. You create an opportunity where you can create better material flow back to the operations. So I've seen that happen as well. So, you know, it made me think about when you were mentioning that, you know, at Wabash, we actually have our Wabash Management System University, and it allows us to bring leaders into a learning environment, learning the principles and tools of lean, applying them to real business problems uh, that we would handle during the week, right, in a safe environment. So it's kind of a learn-apply scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is the intent that when they come out of the back end of the WMAS or Wabash Management System University, that they go back into the business with a different level of training, mm -hmm. with a different level of understanding as it relates to problem solving and, and waste elimination. Uh, so, so 
it really is that same model. And each time we run one of the university sessions, uh, we're developing this this learning culture uh, that we can uh, enhance our ability to drive transformation at a very high level. Mm, I love that. It's great that you guys are doing that internally. And, and I bet the, your team is definitely thankful that that's a part of the organization that they work in. So amazing. Hats off to you guys for that. Age old question here, Tony, I'm going to throw it at you. There's a lot of statistics out there uh, around you know, what, what I would say call in quotation marks here, lean failure uh, or lean transformations that fail. Uh, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why some lean transformations fail and others succeed. Yeah, I, I think the first thing I think of uh, when I think of lean transformations actually not achieving the results that they intend to achieve is lack of an aligned strategy. Hmm. If you don't really understand the purpose of the change uh, or the transformation and there isn't really a clear vision, it's very hard to drive any level of transformation because people inherently typically don't like change. And if they don't understand the why, they can't see how it's attached to the overall vision of the organization. Uh, it's very hard for them to support the transformation at all. Hmm. And so when you, when you start with this you know, lack of clarity around vision uh, and connection to strategy, it, it doesn't set you up for success typically. Uh, that's been that's been my experience. And then just coupled with that, if you do have a good aligned strategy and vision, you cannot under communicate that you have to over communicate that to your teams. They have to be very clear and in very non ambiguous ways of how they fit into the overall vision and how they fit into the transformation. Then ultimately, the why, why are we doing this in the first place? Mm. <laughs> uh, we sometimes don't even tell people why we're doing it. So they don't even understand the need for change in right. the first place. They, they mostly think, well, uh, we probably hear this a lot, too. This is just a flavor of the month. We've mm -hmm. done this 10 years ago. It never worked. But it's probably because we never told people why. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's one of the keys when you think about which transformations do really, really well and the others that fail. Absolutely. That's a great, great point. Uh, and, and it's also uh, something that I talk about very frequently when, you know, I, I call it a compelling story, you know, mm -hmm. being able to be as a leader, an executive leader in a company, especially being able to create that story around why we're changing, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's, a, you know, something with a customer, it's a quality situation, it's um, maybe you're an innovative company, you know, that, and you want to, drive innovation through the, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can, you know, tell a compelling story and, and a story that people are willing to get on board with and, yeah. you know, get excited about. Right. So, uh, yeah. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you can get excited about the story and you understand where you fit in the story, it's it very easy then to follow along with what needs to happen inside of a transformation. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and I've, I've heard you talk quite a bit about learning culture, uh, you know, the importance of creating a learning culture. Can you talk a little bit more? Let's expand on that. And, uh, you know, really, maybe for, for someone that's listening that doesn't, uh, has maybe never heard that term before, they don't understand what it what it is to be a, a learning culture or what a learning culture is. Maybe talk about the, the definition of that and, and also the importance of it, you know, when your organization is going through a transformational journey. 
Yeah, I think the definition, you know, as I see it, is creating a culture where learning is the norm. Uh, the attribute of a very good lean leader is they're always learning. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always challenging the status quo. And so they go into every situation, every event, every problem that they try to solve uh, with an open mind and the opportunity to learn something new. And I think that learning culture is very key inside of a transformation. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, folks learn in different ways. Uh, Mostly uh, we learn through hands-on application, right? And so when I think of learning culture, that's, that's a lot of what that would represent. And so when I think about the culture and I think about lean, it's not about the tools, it's about the behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so when, when, when I think of learning culture, it's very synonymous with the behaviors that we're trying to drive, which ultimately creates the learning culture. So that's, that's the definition of that in, in my mind. And I think why that's, that's important, you know, people ask me a lot, you know, what's the most important things you focus on uh, in a lean transformation? It's absolutely learning. Uh, the, the, the foundation and platform you create when you train others, uh, to expand the KPO. Think about it. The KPOs typically are not huge organizations. It's not, you know, hundreds of people inside of a KPO. Typically, uh, you have a small group, you have a small group of, of, of folks that have a skill set. But wouldn't it be really nice if you could expand that knowledge beyond the KPO, beyond the center of excellence? through this application of lean tools, right? right? This this whole learning. And so this learning culture becomes very important in the journey. And that's why, in the example I talked about earlier, our WMS University is very key to that because ultimately we're trying to create other leaders as teachers, mm-hmm. other folks that can that can lead from the front, show by example, problem solve, teach their teams these, these these methodologies. And so ultimately you drive towards this, you probably heard this number, maybe one to three percent of the organization that's dedicated to lead, mm-hmm. right? That's dedicated to problem solving, waste elimination. Um, and I, I think the only way you can really do that is to create this this learning culture as we've been talking about. Absolutely. And I'd would like to hear your thoughts around, you know, problem solving specifically just based on, you know, being in a learning culture. Any uh, thoughts around problem solving as far as uh, is, there, is there a specific approach uh, that your team takes to problem solving? Do you have multiple problem solving uh, methodologies that, that are used? And what part of your problem solving methodology, you know, allows for reflection and learning? Yeah, that's also a great question. You know, to me, it always depends on the complexity of the problem you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. It depends on, you know, the more complex, obviously, the more rigorous your problem solving activities typically are. Maybe it leans more towards a Six Sigma or a Demaic type approach. But if it's something that is a little less complex, uh, takes a little bit less resources, you know, maybe it's just a five Y. Um, maybe it's a simple approach to, you know, using PDCA and your thinking process. I always tell people it really depends on what problem you're trying to solve. But then that also goes into how we educate people on what tool to use for what problem. Right. It's not a one size fits all one tool fits all approach as it relates to problem solving. But if you ask me what 
mindset I typically prescribe to when I think of problem solving is define, measure, analyze, improve, control. Mm. Uh, I very much believe in, in, in Demaic approach as it relates to problem solving and experimentation, fail, fail fast, learn from your mistakes, you know, fast iteration, agile thinking, and, and problem solving is very important in any lean transformation. Because uh, I tell people a lot, lean helps you to identify problems. It brings problems to the surface. Uh, and if you bring problems to the surface, you absolutely need a problem-solving methodology to address the things that come to the surface. Mm. Uh, you can't do one without the other. If you start a lean journey and you don't have a problem-solving methodology, you, you're probably on the path to failure or at least some difficult challenges as you, as you go through the process. Right. Uh, and uh, earlier we, t we talked uh, a little bit about challenges that you've faced and I'm curious too, as we as we start to wrap up uh, today, I, I'm curious to hear your achievements, or maybe even one specific achievement that you can think of. You know that that you've been a part of uh, over the years. You've you've I'm sure been part of many different teams and and many different lean transformations. And uh, I'm just curious if you have one maybe that stands out where you say this was. You know, one time when we we celebrated and we felt really great about the achievements that we were able to make. Uh, do you have any examples? Yeah, I think one that 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 sits with me uh, in previous life, previous organization. I got the opportunity to work with a volunteer organization, Holland Rescue Mission, mm. um, and we actually did a lean learning event with, with the Holland Rescue Mission. Hmm. Uh, and it was quite amazing because it, it, it wasn't something I thought that we could apply lean thinking to. And it was really an opportunity to teach something that in some people's eyes is a very complex thing to folks that had never had any exposure to it. And one of the problems that they were trying to solve is they needed to get more clothing to some of the stores that support you know, the homeless community. Mm. And so to me, immediately, it was a lean problem to solve. Yes. Uh, they had to get more velocity through their system mm -hmm. and they had to get more clothes to each one of the individual stores. Right. So it was number of racks of clothes. And so we worked with them during the week. And one of the statements from one of the folks that was in the event said, I never knew my mind could look at a problem this way or even think this way and the light turned on for me uh at that point because it probably was one of the better kaizen events i had ever been to even mm -hmm. the the hundreds of plant shop floor enterprise office events this was one that was so important because these folks didn't even think they could think that way and their behaviors changed uh and that actually switched on the light for me as it related to a lean transformation that was uh, an awesome uh, thing to be part of, an awesome thing to recognize some of the team, you know, the teams that were there for that level of thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were really excited at the end because they just never thought that they could achieve the results that they did. It was awesome. Oh, that's amazing. What a what a great uh, project to be a part of, or you know, transformation. Uh, exciting to he to hear some of the work that's that's been done and is being done in the the social sector and nonprofit areas. Because obviously, lean is applicable, you know, not just in manufacturing, right? And we've I think that the lean community has done a good job at communicating that over the years, uh, because it was so heavy manufacturing. 
but being able to see how uh, lean and continuous improvement is, is being applied and used across different industries, you know, in the healthcare world and obviously in nonprofit in the social sector is always fun to hear the stories and uh, achievements that, you know, people like yourself are being a part of uh, when it comes to that. So thank you for your work there. Yeah, absolutely. One of, uh, one of the uh, shining achievements um, that I can remember over the years. Yeah, and that's actually right down the road from my house, uh, so not too far. Uh, you and I are both in the state of Michigan, and uh, Holland is just south of, of where I live, so I know I know them very well. Yeah, absolutely. You should stop in there uh, if you ever get an opportunity. It's an awesome place. Yeah, I will definitely do that. Tony, last question that I have for you uh, for our li those that are listening in. Uh, any key, you know, maybe one key learning or, or one one last uh, item that you would share with our listeners, uh, something important that you think just needs to be said uh, before we close up today? What would that be? Yeah, yeah I, I think the one thing I think of is, and I talked about this earlier, it's really the respect for people along the way when you're when you're going through a journey. Mm -hmm. you, you cannot underestimate uh, the level of engagement you get when you start the day with the respect for people. Um, I think it's underestimated. I think it sometimes gets talked about, but in, in, in many cases, it's something we, we sometimes forget about, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I always start the day with how, how am I respecting my teams? Uh, how am I giving them the opportunity to, to make mistakes and learn from them? And how can I support them? Uh, so that, that, that would be my one key advice as we, as we kind of wrap up for today. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you, Tony. Uh, this has been great. I'm, I'm sure you and I could chat forever. We'll have to get together for uh, lunch or breakfast sometime. I'd love to hear some more of your stories, especially with you being so close. But thank you so much for your time today and, and really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing uh, at Wabash and, and for our lean community and, and just the people that you work with. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Patrick, for having me on and I look forward to connecting soon. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.